You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everybody. Welcome to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melkier, your host for the hour. And man, am I excited about today's show. Uh, I mean, I thought yesterday's show was action-packed, but there's uh, still more fallout from the trade deadline. We've got a couple of big prospect call-ups today and uh, special guest later on in the show, Molly Knight. Uh, She is the author of The Best Team Money Can Buy book about the uh, Dodgers great book by the way and really looking forward to having Molly on to talk about the Darvish trade and uh, ask her some Dodger questions I've been uh, dying to get answered a lot of interesting uh, players uh, in terms of uh, trends for this season uh, trying to puzzle those out hopefully uh, Molly can can help us out with that so uh, lots to look forward to but let's get to uh, the big news and actually the Darvish trade is news since uh, I signed off uh, 23 hours ago on this show because uh, that did not get reported until right after the 4 o'clock Eastern deadline. So let's lead off with that. The Rangers have traded you Darvish to the Dodgers for Willie Calhoun, uh, second baseman, but uh, probably is going to profile in the AL more as a DH. Also right-hander A.J. Alexi and infielder Brendan Davis. So three prospects going back to Texas for you uh, Darvish, and uh, that wasn't all. The Dodgers also picked up a couple of lefty relievers, Tony Watson uh, from the Pirates and Tony Singrani from the Reds. So uh, lots to talk about there later on with Molly Knight. Uh, but let's get to those uh, prospect call-ups. Ahmed Rosario is going to make his major league debut, his long-awaited major league debut with the Mets today. I uh, have not seen a lineup for the Mets yet. Lineup's just starting to, to trickle in. Uh, but that is obviously a big deal. I actually wrote my waiver piece, my weekly waiver piece for uh, FanRag Sports. It's out there, uh, up there today, and uh, led off with the Rosario call-up uh, and making the argument that uh, even though the, the minor league numbers don't look overwhelming for Rosario, I mean, he's got a great batting average and some steals, but frankly, I think that that, to a large degree, can translate to the major leagues, and he doesn't need big-time power to uh to be worth picking up in a 12 team mixed league that's that's the short version for longer version you gotta go to fan sports check that out uh but also ozzy albies called up this morning or at least the report is that uh, he's going to be called up so uh two big middle infield prospects uh making their debut uh, i assume albies debuting today i'm not sure about that but he is getting called up so uh big news there for both of them and uh, there were a few other trades that just kind of trickled out just after the deadline. Brandon Kinsler going to the Nationals, Tim Beckham going to the Orioles. Uh, so didn't uh, hit those on yesterday's show. But now I have. Anyways, lots, lots more news to come and uh, a whole lot of analysis. So stick around. We'll be right back after this break.
In 2016, Scott Engel predicted an impressive second season from Melvin Gordon. Jake Seeley recommended Jordan Howard. Bobby McMahon forecasted a JGI breakthrough. George Kurtz saw a big year coming from Matt Ryan. And Joe Galena picked Rashard Matthews as one of his top sleepers. These predictions turned fantasy owners into champions, and the same crew returns this year. With more savvy calls in the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package at rotoexperts.com. Don't miss the calls that create winners. Register now and enter free radio at checkout for a special discount. Welcome back. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, the host of this very show. And uh, as far as this show, of course, it's just a part of a great schedule on the world's premier 24-7 fantasy sports radio network. And did you know that you can take us wherever you go? Just download the Fantasy Sports Radio app in the iTunes Store or on Google Play and listen for free anytime, anywhere. You can hear Tony Sincata on the treadmill. Benny Riccardi in the car, or Greg Sussman on the subway, or relax with the king on the couch, or it's Jake Seeley when you're jogging. Wherever you are, we'll keep you updated and informed wherever you go. So get the Fantasy Sports Radio app for free right now in the iTunes Store or on Google Play and take the experts with you. So uh, as I mentioned before the break, a few lineups are in, and uh, it's worth checking those because uh, there are a couple other prospect call-ups and uh got those folks in the lineup like i said no braves lineup yet although we do know lucas sims is going to make his major league debut tonight against the dodgers and kenta maeda uh the reds lineup is out that's a 705 start at pnc park uh eastern time and jesse winker got called back up for the reds he is starting in right field over scott shebler and batting second for the reds so no Scott Shebler in the lineup. Glad I didn't start him this week. Uh, but Jesse Winker, back up. And then uh, the White Sox lineup is out. And Willie Garcia and Yohan Moncada, they uh, had a collision in yesterday's game. Uh, that landed Garcia on the seven-day concussion DL. Moncada is just considered a day-to-day with a right knee contusion, but he is not in the White Sox lineup Tonight against the Blue Jays, that's uh, a 7-10 start at uh, U.S. Or let me do it again. By the end of the season, I'm going to get that stadium name right. Guaranteed right field. Uh, that's central time, 7-10. Mike Palfrey and Marcus Stroman. And Nikki Delmonico has been called up to take Willie Garcia's place on the roster. And he is starting in left field and batting fifth right behind Matt Davidson in that uh, White Sox lineup. And again, no Yoan Moncada tonight uh yalmer sanchez back at second base matt davidson back in his more customary dh spot and tyler saladino at third so a lot of shifting going around for the white Sox. uh weather looks pretty good uh this according to roto grinders meteorologist kevin roth strangely enough the biggest precipitation chance is in san diego tonight against the twins uh 31 percent chance at uh, the start of play a little bit of a, a rain chance also uh, just a little bit up uh, up I-5 for the uh, Angels game versus the Phillies. That's the big Nola Nolasco showdown. I wonder if that's happened before. That's fun. Uh, and actually, that game I just mentioned, the White Sox, there's a 24% chance of rain or well precipitation this time of year. It's got to be rain, right, uh, at game time, but decreasing pretty dramatically as uh, 
time goes on after that uh, scheduled first pitch. So probably not a big problem there uh, in Chicago as far as that goes. But let's get back to the news of which there is plenty. Uh, Brad Osmus has announced that Shane Green is going to be the Tigers' new closer. Of course, with Justin Wilson getting dealt to the Cubs. So a uh, lot of uh, controversy around that one. Nobody really stood out, although it did seem like there was a growing consensus among uh, fancy players, fancy industry, uh, that Shane Green would get it. Um, but uh, now it has been made official by Brad Osmus. Johnny Cueto had to leave his rehab game uh, yesterday with forearm tightness. He was looking to return to the Giants rotation this weekend. So certainly sounds like we're not going to be able to count on that. Uh, according to Henry Schulman of the San Francisco Chronicle, Cueto is going to have that uh, injury uh, evaluated today sometime. So keep my eyes open for any updates on Cueto's situation. But that does not sound promising. Lance McCullers went on the DL. Uh, he's got a sore back. So Brad Peacock's uh, time away from the Astros rotation, very, very short. Uh, so Peacock back, replacing McCullers in the in the rotation. Mark Trumbo, he has a right rib cage strain. He is on the 10-day DL. Coming off of the 10-day DL tonight is Stephen Piscotti. Harrison Bader, Bader is going to be uh, sent back to AAA. Memphis. So plenty of outfielders there in the mix for uh, the Cardinals, but Piscotti uh, back back into that mix. Chris Owings, who uh, fractured his finger the other day, he is now on the 60-day DL. So uh, it looks like you could definitely drop Chris Owings in all of your redraft leagues. And Kendall Graveman is scheduled to come off the DL and start this Thursday against the Giants. Chris Smith is going to move to the bullpen, but there is... Uh, the possibility that he could come back uh, if Jarrell Cotton or Daniel Gossett continue to struggle. Um, so if you are owning Chris Smith, I'm assuming this is a deep league situation, uh, but not time to drop him just yet if you do own him. he This could be a short stay in the bullpen, just like it was for uh, for Brad Peacock. So uh, we'll uh, see how that one plays out. So not a very, very uh, light schedule yesterday in the major leagues uh, and not a whole lot of noteworthy starting pitching performances. But the two most notable ones actually occurred in the same game. You had Gio Gonzalez and Jose Ureña dueling each other. Each won eight innings. And for Gonzalez's first eight innings, he did not allow a hit. He almost had a no-hitter, went into the top of the ninth, gave up a D. Gordon leadoff single, and that was it for Gio Gonzalez. Spectacular outing for him. A near no-hitter, five strikeouts, just the one hit by D. Gordon, and three walks. And so that leaves Gonzalez's ERA now at 2.66 on the season. And the comments that I see about Gio Gonzalez uh, on email, on Twitter, uh, are pretty much the same. And I have to admit, I, I co-sign, have been co-signing these comments. Yeah, I don't get it. How is Gio Gonzalez doing this well? This is a fluke, blah, blah, blah. Sort of reminds me of the pitching version of Zach Cozart, where throughout the whole first half, I would come on here about every other day and say, well, Zach Cozart's still hitting. I still don't understand it, but Zach Cozart is still hitting. Uh, every time Gio Gonzalez goes out, uh, he just creates even more psychic dissonance. But in doing a little bit of a deeper dive after this near-no-hitter, I discovered something kind of interesting about Gio Gonzalez's season. 
And then it got even more interesting when I took a look at Jose Urania. So before I, I dig in a little bit on some Gonzalez analysis, let me just uh, run through the Jose Urania start against the Nationals. Also eight innings, uh, just the one run that will be allowed on three hits and a walk and six strikeouts. So nearly as impressive a line for Jose Urania. Now, both Gonzalez and Urania have very low BABIP rates. And Gonzalez to boot, he's got uh, an 85% strand rate. Very, very high. Pretty much unsustainably high. But he has uh, Gonzalez has a 241 BABIP on the season. And so a lot of people can just look at that, that and say, that is totally unsustainable. That is totally uncharacteristic of Gio Gonzalez. This is just not going to last. Jose Urania has a 242 BABIP, almost identical. So why do they both have such low BABIPs? Gio Gonzalez on ground balls, allowing a 193 batting average, about 50 points below the major league norm. Jose Urania, 191 batting average allowed on ground balls. So nearly identical, and it gets even better. Gio Gonzalez, among all pitchers who have thrown at least 30 innings on ground balls, so basically any plate appearance that's resulted in a ground ball, that amasses up to, to 30 innings. Gio Gonzalez ranks fifth in the pull rate on ground balls. Very, very high. Uh, and pulled ground balls lead to more ground ball outs, typically, than ones that are hit uh, up the middle or the opposite way. Jose Urania has the highest pull rate on ground balls, 62.6%. Uh, Gonzalez's 61.8%. These are like really way far and above uh, the typical rates. So uh, they're you know, among the best in terms of getting hitters to pull ground balls. Is it sustainable? I don't know, but at least there's an explanation why. And I took a look at Gio Gonzalez's heat maps to see where these, you know, uh, where his pitches were being located. Didn't seem like he was, you know, pitching uh, hitters inside. In fact, if anything, kind of pitching them more to the outside, which to me is, is surprising them that he's getting so many ground balls that are pulled. So I haven't totally solved this mystery, but at least I've got a lead on it now for both him and Urania. So both of them having seasons that seem like they're, they're far better than they should be based on most of their peripherals. But there's a common link here that explains both of their seasons. I'm going to dig a little deeper on this and, and some of the other pitchers, too, who are kind of high on that leaderboard uh, and, and uh, see if I can figure something out with that. So anyway, I'll leave that analysis for another day, another time, maybe the next time we both start. But it's time to head for break. And when I come back, I'm going to be joined by Molly Knight. And talk about you, Darvish, and some other good Dodger stuff. So don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back. In 2016, Scott Engel predicted an impressive second season from Melvin Gordon. Jake Seeley recommended Jordan Howard. Bobby McMahon forecasted a JGI breakthrough. George Kurtz saw a big year coming from Matt Ryan. And Joe Galena picked Rashard Matthews as one of his top sleepers. These predictions turned fantasy owners into champions, and the same crew returns this year. With more savvy calls in the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package at RotoExperts.com. Don't miss the calls that create winners. Register now and enter free radio at checkout for a special discount.
Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host. And joining me for this segment, the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Best Team Money Can Buy, The Los Angeles Dodgers' Wild Struggle to Build a Baseball Powerhouse, Molly Knight. Molly, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Uh, the, the timing probably couldn't be any better, uh, especially since the U Darvish trade <laughs> wasn't even announced until uh, like five minutes after I went off the air yesterday. So uh, yeah, uh, glad yeah. I've got you on t- today. That was a bit crazy. <laughs> and when we were talking about my coming on, and I was like, well, this, this trade deadline is either going to go one of two ways. So it's probably better if I come on <laughs> afterwards because otherwise, like, <laughs> I'm just going to be talking into the wind. <laughs> Yeah, well, and you know, so uh, I know that you, you you've got a little bit of an invested stake in in the uh, Dodgers too. So yeah. you know, it could have been extreme joy or ex- extreme disappointment. So I'm I'm glad for you. It's uh, it's a it's a better outcome. But uh, I yeah. certainly want to talk about uh, the. the <laughs> sure. I want to talk about the Darvish deal, but I also want to talk to you about your book, uh, which is fantastic. Sure, yeah. uh, Thank you. But I'm I'm I'm, I'm you're you're very welcome. Thank you for writing it, and and. Um, I'm just curious in terms of what was your inspiration or your impetus for writing the book because it's really kind of an you know on an epic scale uh, you know really covering the team you know around the time of that the sale from the McCourts and uh, it, it was a, a big project and, and I'm just curious how you uh, decide to take that on. Yeah, so um, I, I worked uh, for ESPN for a long time and I was out here on the West Coast. Um, in LA covering the McCourt divorce and initially, I mean, I was living in New York at the time and initial, initially, initially, sorry, we thought that it was going to be, um, just a quick like weekend trip. (laughs) Like, Oh, they're going to settle. It's going to be fine. It's going to be like a quick little blip story I was writing. And basically I never left. Um, and so (laughs) it, 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 it spiraled into the fiasco that it was and, and became such an important story because, it's pretty unprecedented for a for a commissioner to step in and essentially take a team away from an owner because of uh, you know gross negligence and incompetence and and, and embezzlement basically. Um, even though I wasn't allowed to say that in the book because of lawyers, uh, but but you know um, yeah, borrowing money against future season ticket sales and all that. And when you're in that kind of an environment, um, as I was every day, going from the courthouse to the clubhouse and talking to the players it creates this sort of like, I don't know, bunker mentality, I think, where relationships become closer than they otherwise would have been. Uh, so you have players who are like, uh, am I going to get paid because the team was bankrupt? You know, like my agent doesn't really know what's going on. Like, can you text me if you hear anything? You know, and so uh, for once, the reporter, being me, had information that they needed um, versus the other way around. So, and then that sort of like... Um, I, I know I'm giving you a long-winded answer, but that's sort of like built into, you know, building relationships with, um, you know, players and uh, staff members and executives and then, you know, going to dinners and meeting families and just sort of went from there. And, and they really, they since they went from being bankrupt, essentially, to then having the highest payroll in the history of uh, sports, um, the the goal was for them to go for me to write a book about them going from being bankrupt to winning the World Series in a year. Uh, that didn't happen, uh, as we know. But um, but that was sort of 
the the goal of the book and then just just my relationships with the players and, and the stuff that they told me i mean it's their book it's their stories and um i just wrote down what they said yeah well they're they're great stories so uh, i highly recommend <laughs> anybody who hasn't uh, hasn't read it yet uh but let's let's fast forward uh to yesterday uh so you darvish is a dodger uh yeah. and i'm really trying to see you know, make this kind of an interesting discussion because the way I, I look at it, I mean, you have to look very hard to see if there's any downside here. I'm not sure there is any, certainly not from the Dodgers perspective because no. they didn't have to give up a whole lot. But I do worry right. a little bit that, you know, Dodger Stadium has this reputation as being this pitcher's park. It's not really. Right. And Darvish has right. struggled a bit with lefties this year. So, so what, yeah, yeah, how do you see this playing out uh, the next couple of months for you, Darvish? Yeah, and also, I mean, the ball is juice this year. I don't care what anybody in MLB says. Um, <laughs> players can feel the difference on the ball. You talk to any pitcher and they'll know. They can just tell um, that the ball feels different um, and it's causing a lot of blister problems. So, yeah, so many pitchers are having trouble keeping the ball in the yard. Um, Kershaw's given up more home runs this year than, than ever before, uh, just despite still being, um, you know, one of the best, if not the best in baseball behind Max Scherzer. Um I think, look, you're absolutely right. Uh, they gave up Willie Calhoun, who can slide out hit, but he's my height. He's like 5'6". Um, he's a little uh, hefty, and, uh, you know, scouts don't think he can stay at second base, so he might just be, you know, destined to DH-hood, which doesn't do the Dodgers any good. Um, and the Rangers got a couple of upside plays uh, in the other prospects they got. But, look, I mean, to me, um, because I have developed uh, somewhat of an emotional attachment to Clayton Kershaw's success, uh, uh, I and, and that narrative around him that he that he choked in the playoffs. Um, I don't think people realize that you know, like last year, he pitched four times in nine days, which is insane. Um, nobody does. Nobody else is asked to do that. People talk about Madison Bumgarner being an Iron Man, and yeah, he's awesome during the playoffs. But he made every start during that run um, on regular rest, and then he came in in the hmm. World Series at the end and, and um, on short rest and relieved. But, I mean, he was never asked to go on three days rest every time like Kershaw was, and they set him up to fail. He would do fine in the starts on three days rest, and then the next day, his arm, the next start, his arm was dead. And he's never going to make excuses. He's always going to want the ball. But they kept doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, and to the point where it's just like, this is madness. And now, with Darvish and Hill and Wood, they've got, um, you know, four pitchers who can go out there. So they can trust somebody else to throw game four, whether they're up two to one um, or down one to two. I mean, he still might want the ball, but, you know, hopefully cooler heads will prevail and it won't be all on him to, to do it because that's just insane. The human arm can't do it. Um, it just can't. So I, even if you're Superman like Kershaw, so that's, for me, that's what's exciting. Like if they're going to lose this year, at least they're going to lose in a different way and not because they left Kershaw on the mound to die. So yeah, give you some, give you something else to watch, right? Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> like the way, that way of putting it. They lose, they lose, losing in a novel way. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, for uh, sure. But uh, <laughs> uh, well, uh, one of the things in the book that I, I really liked a lot was um, your discussion about Andre Ethier, and uh, you know, sort of, and it shouldn't be, but to me, sort of shocking. Uh, and it, I, this is probably a bad word choice on my part, Molly, but it almost sounds mercenary. Uh, in terms of uh, you know him being very outspoken, in terms of you know how things would affect his his you know future salary, if that's you know oh, the operation out of line, 
if that, uh, you should correct me. But um, but you talk about how he and Adrian Gonzalez really differed uh, in terms yeah. of their approach in different types of situations, and how Gonzalez was really masterful in in those you know clutch type situations. Uh, very good at you know uh, moving, advancing runners and driving in runs, changing his approach to to fit the situation. Mm-hmm. And looking at the Dodger splits from this season. It seems like Justin Turner in particular, but both he and Corey Seager maybe have uh, learned that lesson from Adrian Gonzalez because they, they both are hitting extremely well with runners in scoring position, even though they're not generating as much power in those situations. Right, um, right. And, and, and what this reminded me of, I had a discussion with A.J. Pollock two seasons ago where he talked about how there was a culture among the Diamondbacks, you know, him and, and Goldschmidt and David Peralta and some others, yeah. uh, you know, where they would learn things and, and kind of share them with each other. And you could see that in their statistical profiles. Is there that, that yeah. kind of, from what you know, that kind of culture on the Dodgers? Yeah, I think so. And, and to be fair to Andre Ethier, I mean, and I know what comment you're referring to because it's great, you know, after he advanced the runner at one point. Um, and he said, "I'm not. That's not going to help me in arbitration." Which is kind of a comment he made in frustration because he was trying trying to drive the run, and then also because he was young and dumb. But um, but no, I think <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. I think that um, I think that something that about this team, um, and I don't know if it's yeah, it's contagious and and whatnot. Is they're just relentless. They kind of remind me of like a Cardinals team or even like the Royals team that won the World Series recently. Like top to bottom, they're tough outs. You know, they might not all hit 40 home runs, but it seems like you get them 0-2, you get them 1-2, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're fouling off pitches, fouling off pitches, and all of a sudden you look up and it's 3-2 again. Um, you got even even uh, Yasiel Puig is just taking much better at bats. Um, he used to be a guy who, for all of his talent, um, you know, he wanted it so bad. It was like he would try too hard in clutch situations and, and, and not come through. And he's had, just in the last couple of weeks, he's had two – uh, he said, a, you know, a come from behind, two out, bottom of the ninth, a three-run home run to put, give them the lead. And he beat, uh, last game, the other night, he had a, um, uh, you know, a single in the bottom of the ninth driving the tying run. I mean, that's that's crazy good uh, sign for them from the eighth hitter. But I think you're right. I think that um, it's just a nightmare having to go through uh, Seeger, Turner, Bellinger, not to mention Chris, Babe Ruth, Taylor uh, in, in, in the leadoff spot. Um and I know too that Bellinger has cut down on his strikeouts as well um, since the All Star break. Uh, so that's just—I mean, it's just a nightmare. Um, and then when you have somebody like Chase Utley coming in there, who's literally willing to do anything to get on base, um, you know, including lean into a pitch or two. Um, it's just—it's—it's it, it's one thing to be bludgeoned to death by their talent, which which is what they do. But when they can't do that on any given night, like the other night versus Bumgarner, um, they just, they were just, oh, God, they, just, they were just so annoying. You know, they, they annoyed the relievers to death, and they won. So that's, that's a rare, you're right, that's a rare quality in a team, um, to, have, to have both. I think that's probably why people compare them to the um, 98 Yankees, who were superlatively talented, but also relentless. Yeah, well, uh, certainly have been relentless so far. Really looking forward to uh, watching these uh, last couple of months. And again, with the uh, new and improved rotation, uh, should be fun to watch. So, Molly, thank you so much for joining us. And, and not only should they check out your book, but uh, Twitter at Molly underscore Knight. Molly, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, folks. Well, uh, we're going to head to break, but we'll be right back. 
There's a lot more analysis, so stick around. Hey everybody, it's me, Joe Pizapia, best-selling author of the Fantasy Black Book series, and right now you can get the 2017 Fantasy Football Black Book on Amazon as we speak. What are you waiting for? You can get it for ebook for your Kindle or for paperback, and it's not just me this year. No, I brought in some friends. I got Jake Seeley, I got Sammy Reed, I got Gary Davenport. I got championships and they're waiting for you. Find out why the Fantasy Black Book is number one best-selling in fantasy sports for the 10th straight time. You know why? Because once you go Black Book, you never go back. Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And once again, I'd like to thank Molly Knight for uh, joining us for that last segment. Uh, fun stuff and, and really a fun book. I and mean, when she says that the, uh, you know, the players tell their own stories, uh, there's some really incredible stories, some really good candid stuff there. So uh, if you haven't read it, uh, you're, you're missing out. So uh, I'm really glad that she could take the time to join us for that last segment. Uh, there are a few news items I uh, need to catch up on. The Twins have activated Byron Buxton from the disabled list, and I do not yet see a Twins lineup, but I would expect Buxton's in it. But he is off the DL. That much we know. Uh, David Price played catch earlier today, and uh, from reports that I saw on Twitter, he he looked good. Uh, I don't recall which reporter it was that said it didn't look like he was holding back. So that's a very encouraging piece of news on David Price. And also uh, some Red Sox news, Dustin Pedroia uh, has been placed on the DL with his uh, lingering knee injury. And uh, Eduardo Nunez will once again take over at second base there. He's batting third. And uh, also Ozzy Albis is, in fact, in the Braves lineup. That lineup is now out. Uh, He is uh, playing second and batting in the seventh spot. Uh, and so you got a uh, double play combination there of Johan Camargo, who's batting eighth, and Albies uh, playing in second, batting seventh. And Danny Santana, also uh, staying in the line, but the third base this time, uh, has been getting a little play in the outfield. It's an interesting lineup, actually. Uh, and uh, so Danny Santana with his second start in the row. I've been talking about him sort of on and off. He hasn't really gotten a chance to play steadily. He's been on the DL. But Santana uh, has really been been uh, hitting the ball well, even though he doesn't have a whole lot to show for it in terms of 219 batting average, but a lot of power <laughs> behind that average. I'll get to him a little bit later because uh, I, I want to kind of lump him and Kurt Suzuki together, and uh, they both had some pretty good games yesterday at Philadelphia. But um, let me actually start off the way I typically do when I cover the hitters on the show with the two home run hitters and Jake Marisnik hit a couple of long balls yesterday, went three for four. He now has 13 home runs on the season. He also doubled and he walked. So a very big game for Jake Marisnik against Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, a lot of offense just in general in that game and uh, Corey Dickerson hit. I want to make sure because I think I actually have this wrong in my notes, so I apologize. I think Corey Dickerson hit two, even though I've got him listed for just one. But he is now up to 21 home runs uh, in a two for four performance uh, in that same game against the Astros. And then Derek Fisher 
went three for five with his third home run and his first career double uh, in that same game. And so Marisnik and Fisher, with uh, nice production, not just in this game, but just overall. Now Marisnik, of course, in that very crowded Astros outfield situation, hasn't gotten to play a whole lot this year. But he has just had a whole lot of power. You know, again, I said before, he's already up to 13 home runs on the season. So that's pretty impressive given the amount of playing time that he's had. And that should continue because you've got Nori Aoki, who was dealt yesterday. That one was kind of lost uh, amongst all the bigger the bigger name trades. Uh, Nori Aoki traded to uh, the Blue Jays. So he's out of the picture. And, of course, George Springer on the disabled list. So I think... You're, you're probably most often going to see an outfield of Josh Reddick, Jake Marisnik, and Derek Fisher with Carlos Beltran kind of working in that mix occasionally. But I figure most of his playing time is probably going to come over at DH. I'm splitting time there with Evan Gaddis. So even with all you know the, the injuries that the uh, Astros have, I mean, they still have lots of mo- moving parts. But I, I think that those three, Reddick, Marisnik, and Fisher, should see the bulk of the playing time. And that's going to help all of them. I mean, they've all been hitting well. And that's probably the biggest impact on, on Marisnik. I mean, I suppose Fisher, too. But Marisnik has been that you know fourth outfield type for the Astros the last few seasons. And he's, he should finally get a, a chance to play close to every day. And what he's going to give you, he's going to give you that power. I mean, he's showing more power this year than he ever has. But even in, in prior years, he's had some pretty good power. And he's, he's speedy, too. So he'll give you that power-speed combination. What you're not going to get from Marisnik, most likely, is a very high batting average because behind the home run power, and uh, you know, I talk about the, this, this profile player, this type of player, pretty much every show. There's, you know, I talked about Robinson Torinos yesterday. So there's a you know, number of players that fit this profile of going all out for power, not a lot of contact, not a lot of frequent contact, I should say, um, not a lot of balls hit uh, up the middle into the opposite field. And in Marisnik's case, I wouldn't say there's even a ton of raw power there. It's just that those pull tendencies and, and very, very strong fly ball tendencies are going to, you know, they're, they're going to take him a long way. But it's going to hurt his batting average. So that's, that's the one sort of uh, weak link that uh, you're going to find with Jake Marisnik. But the power-speed combination with some regular playing time, that's definitely going to make him viable in any sort of mixed league that's more than 12 teams and make him in a, in a roto league, a five outfielder, 12 team roto league, somebody to at least put on the radar. I would definitely not say must add, but at least he's on the radar if he's getting regular starts. Now, Fisher, he definitely belongs in 12 team mixed leagues. As long as he's getting regular playing time, there's absolutely no reason to think that he wouldn't, um, yeah, Fisher's got to be picked up in 12-team mixed leagues, whether it's three outfielder, five outfielder. He needs to be picked up. And Corey Dickerson, who I mentioned just sort of offhandedly, uh, he's uh, really been in a funk up until this particular start. And I mentioned before, it's the strikeouts. In fact, this game against the Astros on Monday, this was his first game since the All-Star break in which he did not have a strikeout. 16 games into the second half of the season, his first game without a strikeout. And over those previous 15 games, he had a total of 24 strikeouts. So there were a good number of two and three strikeout games in that mix for Corey Dickerson. So 
Uh, I had been saying all along, if you've got Dickerson, a lot of people wanting to drop him, I get it. Uh, but if, unless you're in a league that doesn't have bench spots or something, you you got to stash Dickerson and, and another game or two like this. And, you know, I think it's, it's time to get him back in the lineup uh, because the power is legit. His ability to hit, as we've seen both in Colorado and in Tampa Bay, is legit, not just as a home run hitter, but as an all-fields guy uh, who can hit for average as well as uh, give you the, the home run and the, the run production. Uh, Dickerson can do that, and as soon as he gets the strikeouts under control, he will do that, and, and I expect that uh, he will in, in pretty short order. Uh, as for the Red Sox, same day or a different day, same story. Uh, for uh, Rafael Devers, four for four with his second career double, this against the Indians. So Devers is now batting a cool 417. And Eduardo Nunez also continues to hit as a member of the Red Sox with a three hit game and his 22nd and 23rd doubles of the season. So with Pedroia out, Nunez will uh, keep starting. I mean, I don't think he was going to miss a whole lot of time anyway in a super utility role because he's versatile enough that you know, he can maybe occasionally spell Devers at third. He can play a little left field. He can, uh, you know, play play second and short. So, um, playing time, not a huge concern for Nunez, but really now it's, it's absolutely of no concern. I would expect he'll be in there every single day at second base while Dustin Pedroia is uh, on the disabled list. So he, he continues to hit, and I don't, again, I don't know if this is, uh, it's probably just coincidence, it's just been a few games, but as I said on a recent show, um, the move from AT&T Park to Fenway Park can only mean good things for Nunez as a hitter. Um, Josh Donaldson had a nice game. Uh, he went two for four, hit his 11th home run, but he that that puts a, a good ending to an otherwise pretty disappointing month of July. Finished the month with a two sixteen batting average, and he struck out in twenty nine percent of his plate appearances. That is very very un Josh Donaldson like, and not only have all those strikeouts affect Donaldson's batting average, but also affected his uh, power production for the month. So. Um, just as I've said with Corey Dickerson, I think you got to kind of hang tight with Josh Donaldson and uh, know that uh, those strikeouts eventually, that that rate is going to regress back to his norm and you're going to see the batting average and the power production improve. I mean, he's just been too good for too long uh, unless he's you know got uh, a health issue. And at this point, I don't think there's a reason to assume Donaldson has one um, that uh, you, you just got to stick with him. And, and unlike with Dickerson where, uh, you know, it was advisable to bench him. I, I wouldn't even feel comfortable benching Josh Donaldson at this point. And so maybe this good game to end the month of July uh, is is the beginning of some better things for Josh Donaldson. Uh, now, as I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the segment, a couple of Braves had a really nice game against the Phillies on Monday. Danny Santana with a three-hit game. Uh, he doubled and tripled. And Kurt Suzuki with his 12th home run of the season. So we're kind of in Marisnik territory there. A lot of power and not a whole lot of playing time. But something very, very intriguing about both of these guys. I've talked a bit about Santana in the past. I haven't talked that much about Kurt Suzuki. But uh, for our final segment, which is coming up uh, very, very shortly, uh, I want to dig in a little bit deeper on these two Braves because uh, I think that their fantasy value is about to take a turn for the better. Anyway. Time to head into the last break, but uh, stick around. 
because I'm going to be right back. Want the most accurate predictions for the upcoming college football season? Then you need to get to GoForTheChew.com Power 5 Preview. Available now at RotoExperts.com. I'm college football analyst Joe Lisi, and my predictions and insights have been featured nationwide parlaying my successful predictions in Las Vegas. I get you ready for the upcoming year with in-depth breakdowns of every Power 5 team, schedule analysis, Heisman favorites, and much more. The GoForTheChew.com Power 5 Preview at RotoExperts.com. Get it now and cash in later. Welcome back. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, we've got a few more lineups in. Uh, Cubs lineup is out. And uh, there is Anthony Rizzo back in the lineup at first base. So that's very good to see. Ian Happ in there in left field. No Kyle Schwarber because uh, the Cubs are facing the lefty Patrick Corbin. It's going to be a big old lefty fest there at uh, Wrigley Field with John Lester also taking the mound for the Cubs. And I mentioned before, Braves lineup is out, um, and I had already mentioned that Danny Santana's in there playing third base and batting second. However, no Kurt Suzuki. Uh, It's Tyler Flowers back behind the plate. And Suzuki and Flowers have been splitting time more or less, but for most of the season, it's been Flowers getting the bulk of the starts. But Kurt Suzuki's been swinging a hot bat. So he's actually, last week or so, been getting most of the starts uh, and yesterday at Philadelphia, he hit his 12th home run of the season. And I knew that that had been going well for Suzuki. He's been hitting really well now for a little over a year because the middle of last season, when he was still with the tw- Twins, uh, he switched to an axe-handled bat, and he saw his offensive numbers improve, and that's just carried over into this year with the Braves. Uh, but what I didn't realize is that if you rank Every catcher who's had at least 150 plate appearances, which is, you know, at this point in the season, not a lot, but we are talking catchers now. So that's not really an insignificant role, uh, you know, for a catcher if you've got 150 plate appearances at this point. And as I said, the way that Suzuki's been going lately and the way that he's been used lately, you, you should see that playing time increase for him going forward. So anyways, 150 plate appearances or more, he has the highest isolated power of any major league catcher. <laughs> Anyone. And actually, the top of that leaderboard is, and I actually, I'm sorry, I have to correct myself, not the highest, the second highest. He is behind Robinson Chirinos. <laughs> so, uh, what I talked about yesterday. Uh, but still, Chirinos, everybody knows he has just been hitting the cover off the ball. But Suzuki has a 266 ISO uh, this season. And Chirinos is. is uh, I think 286. And then right behind the two of them is Mike Zanino. And you don't really get to a catcher who has been a full-timer all season until you get to number five on the leaderboard, and that's Salvador Perez. So the top of that leaderboard is Chirinos, Suzuki, Zanino, and then Chris Iannetta, another name you wouldn't necessarily expect to see up there. So Suzuki holding his own, really, with anybody in terms of power hitting, uh, like I said, been hitting better for more than a year now uh, and has been getting more playing time. So 
he's uh, absolutely a two-catcher league option. Uh, and back to Santana, who I mentioned had three hits yesterday, including a double and a triple. Only a 219 batting average. He's hit 18 fly balls so far, but it's very, very limited playing time. His average fly ball distance is 349 feet. So uh, that's a lot of power there for uh, for uh, Danny Santana. In a deep league, I like to stash him just in case Matt Camp's out for a while and he continues to get playing time and continues to hit for power. I've got one other note uh, to send you off. Uh, Sonny Gray is going to make his Yankees debut on Thursday. So uh, there you have it. And I have not seen anything yet, at least prior to the start of the show, about you Darvish's debut. And I did see Brock Stewart was still scheduled to start on Wednesday. I don't know if that's still going to hold, but obviously uh, that's something you, you need to check out. But Sonny Gray making his Yankees debut this Thursday. So get excited, folks. Uh, anyways, on that note, uh, wrapping up a pretty busy Tuesday show. I'm going to be back on Thursday with Mr. Nando DeFino because it's Nando Thursday. Really looking forward to that one. Anyway, hope you enjoyed tonight's slate of games. Have a great time watching and have a good one. See you on Thursday. <laughs>